So Money, episode 1268, Alana Karen, author of Adventures of Women in Tech, How We Got Here and Why We Stay. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. When I interviewed women and asked them what they liked working about in tech, it was almost like I'd given them a script behind the scenes. It was so consistent amongst women. The money, which I think is... Totally okay to say, but we sometimes shrink back from oh, saying Oh, you should have led with that. The money. Right. The money. <laughs> um, this is a lucrative field. It's a growing field. It's generally secure because of the reliance now on technological solutions. And so I think that we sometimes don't, we hesitate to say that, but I think it is such a compelling piece of the story because we should be paid. (laughs) We absolutely should be paid. Um, And we're still battling a salary difference between men. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Special guest today, Alana Karen. She was a very early stage employee at the Google employee 300 something. She's an award-winning tech leader, author, and speaker whose work impacts many of our everyday lives from Google search to ads, fiber to Google grants and beyond. Alana has been leading the charge to develop, scale, build, and drive team and product development that has seen a rippling industry impact. She has spoken at conferences and summits on technology, leadership, DEI, talent, and innovation. And her book, Adventures of Women in Tech, how We Got Here and Why We Stay is the focus of our conversation today. In it, Alana aggregates hundreds of stories on so many topics pertaining to women in this hot field, which isn't always inviting to women. You just heard her talk about one of the reasons, maybe one of the secret reasons women enter the field of tech. It pays well. And there are many jobs in this field. Technology is no longer a niche industry. It is all-encompassing. And as many of us are considering our next chapters, our next career moves, maybe technology is where it's at for us. Here's Alana Karen. Alana Karen, welcome to So Money. It's great to have you here. Thanks for joining. Thank you for having me. We are going to talk about all of your adventures in tech. Uh, You've also written a book, Capturing the Adventures of Fellow Females in Technology. The book is called The Adventures of Women in Tech, How We Got Here and Why We Stay. You yourself, Alana, come to this with decades of experience working in technology, specifically starting at Google. I think you were uh, one of the first employees there. Uh, What employee? What? Everyone knows, right? What's your employee number? Oh, everyone does know, don't they? 319. 319. My goodness. Um, (laughs) At some point along your career, you decided you wanted to start using your voice in a more public-facing way. You began speaking. You wrote this book. What inspired you at first to take on this new role of championing other women in a big way? Yeah, I mean, I think it was a gradual journey to some degree. Like when I look back, and I talk about this a little bit in the book, I was 
slowly realizing why there was even an issue for women or other minoritized populations because tech had this very progressive at the time idea of meritocracy. And so it really was based on seemingly the work that you put in and then recognizing that work. So it took me a while actually to see, oh, wait a second, there's still some stuff here. And we are having different experiences and we don't all necessarily feel like we belong. And I think a lot of, very similar to a lot of women I spoke with, my early years was me just trying to refine myself, me thinking it was me. And it was to some degree, like we all have to improve. But but I was thinking it was me why they weren't listening to me in the room. When it turns out there are a lot of societal reasons why maybe women have to figure out how to hear their how to have their voices heard more even if their skills are top notch so very much a journey and i'd started it for myself and then i'd started it for my team and i'd started it for other women in my group and other people i was mentoring and then around 2017 2018 i was starting to think about oh like could i could I help the world? Like, you know, and mm-hmm. not in a very like, you know, I always like to blame Google hubris for things, but in a sort of really like, oh, am I limiting who I'm helping by not sharing this more broadly? And so that's when I started. So glad. Yeah, I started to write articles on LinkedIn and, and that was basically the journey for me. But even before you started at Google, before the journey, quote unquote, journey began, you were drawn to this field where many other women, young women at the time, your contemporaries may not have been for the reasons that continue to be a reason why I think women don't enter tech. They see it as a male dominant field. They don't feel safe. Uh, we hear these stories, we read your book and, and, uh, hopefully by the end of your book, you're encouraged and you're inspired to take a role in the world of tech. But what for you drew you to this space, knowing perhaps already that there were going to be challenges that were not, not anything that you could really control. I think it's funny because I think back and I was like, oh, I was so innocent. I was so naive. I had no idea. The naive. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I do think ignorance, is, ignorance bliss. is bliss. So I was introduced to computers at an early age by my dad. I often credit him for that. But recently I was talking to my dad and he's like, no, you were the one who kept going down and using it and doing hours of stuff and coming up with projects to do. Like it was very self-driven. So I think there was a lot of natural affinity interest. And I found early on that it was a great way to express my creativity, right? Like I wasn't down there coding necessarily. I was writing poetry. I was doing artwork on the little art apps, right? Like, and so I think that that was part of what really clicked for me was this like new way and a really easy way to express my creativity. And when I got into college, I was studying history, really, for the most part. But I was learning web design in my free time. Just self, this was 20 years ago, y'all. So this was self-taught. There were no books. There were no classes. Uh, Maybe there was like an HTML for dummies book. 
Um, but there just wasn't a ton of resources out there like there are today. And so just figuring it out on my own, a little bit of JavaScript, how to tweak it, that sort of thing. I think because I wasn't in the engineering courses and I wasn't seeing that I was maybe only one of as women, maybe because it was so self-driven, I had no idea really that I was going down this sort of path of passion, self-interest that maybe down the road would, would have some things. And really, I knew because I wasn't taking any formal classes that I had a lot to learn. So I think mm-hmm. that going in and having people treat me like I didn't know anything seemed totally legit to me. <laughs> like, you know, like I wasn't like, <laughs> oh, they're doing it because of gender. Like I like legit didn't know things. Um, so I think that that was, yeah, I think nowadays maybe a part of the con is that you you can build up all these fears and knowledge in advance when in reality there's a ton of places that will be great to work. Uh, but you have to kind of get through that initial stage first to find them. Well, certainly back then too, much of a learning curve for everybody. I mean, technology was still in its uh, infancy in terms of uh, what we're used to today. And you were at the beginning of that. What was your actual role at Google? I know you held many positions, but tell a little, about, a little bit about like the responsibilities that you had. By the time I got to Google, it was 2001. I'd done a couple jobs before, one being like an actual webmaster of a site, doing a redesign, running a website, another at a startup, having moved more into account management and then training. And by the time I joined Google, I knew that I wasn't going in the more technical direction, that I really did like working with people, having a lot of time off the computer. And so I joined in a customer service role. It was a combination of intentionality and that's what was available. Like I was I was looking for a job during the you know the bust of the dot com. And so I really was looking for a good company. I wasn't necessarily that picky about the role, but I was being really intentional about the fact that I wasn't going to learn coding and go deeper there, that I was looking for more of the operation side or the support side in a way. And so my initial responsibilities were answering customer email and reviewing and approving ads manually. Um, So just like looking at the ad and saying like, was it good? Was it not? Yeah, sort of thing. Um, But pretty soon after I joined, we were growing really quickly and I got into obviously helping the team grow, but also very specifically policy, what ads we accept and what we don't accept. And that turned into my initial 10-year career where I was first building out my role and then a team for creating, implementing, and maintaining policies for ads and other products globally. Um, So really interesting space. And I really couldn't have predicted, like there's no way to say I want to grow up and be an ads policy, right? Like that was very much a cutting edge job coming out of the reality of what happens when you open up your platform to everyone and anyone and the new businesses happening on the internet. Your book came out in December of last year, The Adventures of Women in Tech, How We Got Here and Why We Stay. 
if this was called The Adventures of Men in Tech, a very different book, obviously. So <laughs> tell me about what are some of these adventures. You tell us about how this is very much a book for women versus men. I've had men tell me that they find a ton relevant. And I think the reason is, having spoken with a lot of them, is that a lot of what I'm about to say is is common. Um, but what I will say was really unique, I think, to the women's journeys and, and other minoritized populations for sure. So other intersections um, or even men from certain minoritized populations is there is this journey of feeling like you belong and feeling like you're in the right place and that you can be what you see other people doing without always examples of another woman, another Latina woman, another Black woman doing what you're achieving. And so a lot of people were going through this journey separately, maybe sometimes with support, finding out that they needed support, not realizing they needed it at first, finding their voice, feeling like they could ask for what they wanted, feel like they had to speak up and market their talents. And really over time, developing this resilience and this belief that they're awesome. But all over five years, 10 years, 15 years, that seemed to be the really common adventure that like they didn't come in feeling that. They didn't come in feeling the support for that. They didn't always have, sometimes they did, sometimes they didn't, but they didn't always have a mentor or a sponsor pushing them. So how, in the end, the story of the book, I think, ends up being like, how can we all help each other get there faster? And mm -hmm. this, we are missing out on the talents of these women, not helping that journey sooner. But on the other hand, if you read right. the book, a lot of what they did and a lot of the things that they had to discover, men have to discover too. Um, but I think on mm -hmm. majority, that feeling of not belonging has a lot to do with what what what's around you. And are they talking like you? Do they think like you? Do they um, accept your ideas when you speak up and all of that type of stuff. And we know that that's impacting minoritized populations like women more than men. It's certainly true, not just at in technology, but in a lot of male dominant fields. Certainly there are women in those fields, but if you look at who are the decision makers, who is sitting at the board, who is in the C-suite, it is mostly men. And to your point, you know, some of those women at that company could have been there for 15 years and never make it to that point. Why, you wonder? Uh, whereas maybe the men would have had a faster trajectory. But you do call out a lot of uh, problems throughout the years women in tech have, and they told you, and it's in the book documented, being told to dial back their viewpoints during meetings, judged for how they look, haircuts getting called out, demands from bosses to pick up laundry or face punitive <laughs> consequences. What was your early on experiences as a as an employee yeah. in tech, as a female in tech? Did these stories resonate with you specifically, personally? And how did you yeah, navigate yeah. those? Well, Can I call them horror? They're horror. The laundry horrors. one, I should say, was actually <laughs> from a different industry. I think it was from like 
I don't know, politics or something, but, um, but I, I actually haven't that, necessarily you know? not heard it, especially <laughs> if you're in an, an administrative role. So it's not in the book is that one, but like, I think that it, it, um, does resonate and would resonate with some people. I think that I, in some ways, had a lucky journey because those initial years at Google, for instance, I was working in a very woman-strong team, Um, partially because it wasn't, it was a business side team. And what you'll often find in technology companies is the technical side, the engineering teams, the product teams, et cetera, still have less women. But if you go over to the business side of the company, whether it's the finance team, the sales side, the HR team or whatever, they are more equivalent, sometimes even inverted. Um, And so I think because of that, some of it resonated, some of it didn't. Um, Because I do think I was able to form my identity, find my voice, in a team with more women. On the other hand, I still had experiences along the way where I was like really mansplained a deck by a man. Um, But sometimes what was interesting, and, and women talk about this in the book, is like they don't always know if it's a woman man thing. And I look back and a lot of those experiences, I don't know. That person had gone to business school and I hadn't. He was older and I was younger. Um, and so what, what, was, what was playing into that? Maybe multiple societal things. And I think that's part of what we're navigating right now is sort of like knowing that we were coded by society to think certain things. You know, women should be caretakers, for example. And... Then having that play out in the office, right? Like, why are you expected to get the coffee if people visit? And having to realize over time, like, oh, okay, that's how we were coded. And maybe that's old, stupid coding. And we need to, like, get rid of it. And we need something else. So I definitely have experiences. But I think what's so difficult for minoritized populations is to know what it is. It's not always this one thing. Um and, and figure out, like, what should you do? Like, I spent a lot of my early career just being like, oh, okay, well, maybe it's me. Maybe my deck is bad. But I was lucky in that situation that I went to two other senior women. They just happened to be my, my at the time, the two se- senior people I would go to were women. And they said, oh, just ignore him. Hmm. But what if I would have twisted myself up in knots, maybe done decks differently for the rest of my life? if I hadn't had those people there. Well, so I think that there's, you, you know, just so much to your question, but basically, yes. Right. And again, I'll come back to support and examples for women in, in what made the difference for me. I was going to ask about mentorship later in the conversation, but I'm going to jump right to it because I think this is a natural transition to that topic because of this story that you just shared, which is that you didn't know how to feel in that moment when a male colleague criticized your deck, whether it was you, whether it was, would he even said that if you weren't a female? And it took two more experienced women to say to you, don't listen to him. 
how do we find these mentors? It you sounds like you just stumbled upon them, but how do we b- deliberately go about finding the right kind of mentors who won't just be mentors, but also they'll sponsor us when we're not in the room, they'll speak up for us, they'll advocate for us. And I would say that your mentors don't have to be only women. Women don't need just women mentors. I think the best mentors I've had have been both men and women. So tell us about like the anatomy of an ideal mentor slash advocate for you in the workplace and how to go about creating that relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And you're covering so many great points. Thank you. I didn't even have to emphasize some of the things because you've, you've said them. For me, mentorship was something that I didn't even realize I should ask for. And so I really am preaching that it isn't something that you wait to be crowned. You don't wait just to have a conversation with someone and it magically clicks. I think that what we do need to do is really be aware of the things that we're trying to build in ourselves or the issues that we're having and look around ourselves whether it's at work or at conferences or on LinkedIn even, and say to ourselves, like, who would be, who's demonstrating this? Who would be great to talk to and get advice? And instead of making it this marriage relationship for yourself where you have to find the perfect one, think about it more like speed dating. Like, what questions do you have for someone And can you boil it down to a simple email to them where you say, I love what you do. I love how you do it. I have three questions. You know, do you have 30 minutes? And really just start building that library of advice and experience for yourself. Now, there are definitely sometimes mentorship programs at work. I say, why not give them a shot? Um, They can be hit or miss because you may not get matched with someone that ends up having that advice, that experience, that that relevancy for you. But maybe you try again, right? Like I think sometimes these things, we kind of try it once and we're like, it didn't work. But just like finding a good therapist, sometimes it takes a little shopping around. And really think of it as more like a board for yourself. You're not trying to find the one person that magically fits it all for you. But you're thinking about a group of five to 10 people who you can go to with questions when you have them, that person is great at communicating a message. That person is great when you're having a technical battle in a meeting, right? Like these people can provide different things for you and you don't need to necessarily meet them once a month. It could be an as needed thing. And I think that's really opened up mentorship for me because I think I just couldn't impose. I could not impose a marriage on someone. And I couldn't figure out who that magical person would be. But thinking about it in this much broader way helps. Now, to your other point about who will advocate for me, who will be a sponsor for me, who will bring up my name in rooms where I'm not, who will bring me into those rooms, who will introduce me to new people. That is interesting because that's very much at that person who's bringing you up, who's deciding that, that sponsor's desire. And so I do think doing this where you're forming yourself more of a set of people opens you up more to having one of those people do that for you. 
versus waiting for someone to magically observe you and think they should do it for you. So I think that's how we put ourselves in the driver's seat of the the mentorship sponsorship thing. And I will just add really quickly, I don't think that's the only kind of support you need, right? Like I think thinking about your friends, family, coworkers who are just great support when you had a bad meeting, that's also, I mean, that that's very valuable. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about that as well. I can tell it made a lot of difference for women who built that for themselves. And I just want to share because I think it's so special and I'm sure you know, but your mentee, Kathleen from Google Human Resources emailed me, I don't know if you know this, and said, you need to speak with Alana. She has been my mentor. I find her content and live charisma to be relatable, empowering, demystifying about women's experience in tech. You should know your book helped her, as she says, these are her words, own that I, even I am a woman in tech, though I don't have engineer in my title. So I thought that was really special and a great example of a mentee uh, supporting the mentor. I mean, it's, I just, I blush, I blush. Um, (laughs) She she made this happen. She made this episode happen. Internally, internally I squirm. It's so lovely. Um, (laughs) But I will say, and if you're a person in the position to start thinking about mentoring, which might be earlier than you think, um, you get a lot out of the relationship. Like I, you know, I, I have loved working with Kathleen, who I know listens to your podcast every episode. So she'll hear this and blush on her own. Um, and I interviewed her for the book because I think her experience has been so interesting and valuable. She's been in people operations, HR in a technical company and seeing her figure out her own journey within that Um, I I just think it's really interesting. You see a lot of yourself sometimes, even in people who are different from you in a totally different job. I've never been in people ops HR, right? Um, And so I think that I always get just as much as I give for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Kathleen, thank you so much for bringing us together. Um, Alana, your book, uh, the subtitle, how we got here and why we stay. I want to focus on the why we stay part for a minute because right now many women are not staying in the workforce, whether that's in tech or other fields because of the perils of the pandemic, stretching them far too thin and having to make really hard choices. You know, do I take care of my family or go back to work? Because those two lives cannot coexist. So this is an important time, I think, to be talking about the benefits of or why we stay, as you write, at least in technology. What what keeps women in tech or why do you think tech is the kind of career or industry that uh, fosters an inviting place for women, especially women who have other responsibilities outside of work, taking care of people? How does tech provide more flexibility for them? And what do you want women to know about tech so that maybe they're more encouraged to apply? When I interviewed women and asked them what they liked working about in tech, it was almost like I'd given them a script behind the scenes. It was so consistent amongst women. There were four main things, basically. There was the ability to change the world, to have an impact on the world at a scale that they wouldn't otherwise be able to do. And there's numerous stories of that in the book. They also loved the career opportunity for themselves, right? Here was usually fast-growing companies, lots of opportunity to try out different things, not necessarily just go up the career ladder, 
but also have different experiences and just keep learning, keep learning and growing. And then the third thing was feeling like they'd found their people, feeling like it was an environment where the culture appealed to them and people seemed open and welcoming to lots of different types. And then lastly, the money, which I think is totally okay to say, but we sometimes shrink back from oh, saying Oh, you should have led with that, the money. Right, the money. <laughs> um, this is a lucrative field. It's a growing field. It's generally secure because of the reliance now on technological solutions. And so I think that we sometimes don't, we hesitate to say that, but I think it is such a compelling piece of the story because we should be paid. (laughs) We absolutely should be paid. Um, And we're still battling a salary difference between men, 80 some percent for every dollar, right? That man earns. So yeah, we should be in there just like the men's, just the men folk are, right? Um, And I know we're saying men, women, which is very binary, but obviously um, this is true for all genders. Absolutely true for all genders. So when you think about those four things and you fast forward 10 years into someone's career, 15 years into someone's career, 20 years into someone's career, and now they've gone through maybe an arc or two, and maybe now they have competing life demands outside, and they're trying to decide whether to stay. I feel like it's really helpful to look at what happened to those first four ingredients, Because I think people often will blame motherhood or blame a hostile work environment. And I think that that's true. But if you look at the other four, if you start to talk to them about the other four, you'll see that over the years, the story got weaker for them. I 100% agree. Which meant we had an opportunity that we missed or we lost to make sure, are they still in impactful roles? Are Are they still growing What happened with their environment around them and what happened with their salary and all of that type of stuff. And so I think that is absolutely like Mm there is a code there that you can follow for checking on your people. Um, And they they still may have to leave for some reason, but you can retain a lot of your women. Absolutely. My gosh, it reminds me of... um Sometimes, you know, before the pandemic, when we used to get together and I'd be at, you know, play dates with meeting other parents and I might start talking to a mom and we'll, you know, we ask, you know, it's always a little bit of a tricky question. Like, where do you work or what do you do? Because you don't know, like maybe that mom doesn't work. And so in any case, this mom talked about how she had left her, her career to raise her kids. And she said, I just did the math and it just didn't, you know, it was like, gosh, you know, what I was paying for childcare was like on par with what I was making at the end of the day. Like, what's the point? And so I just nod. And then absolutely. Then she says, to your point, you know, I didn't really like my job anyway. And I go, aha, there it is. What if you were obsessed with your job? You loved it so much. You felt there was such a future for you. Maybe you weren't making a lot, but you knew you could if, you know, you put in the work, you put in the effort, you asked for the money. I think sometimes we, uh, we need to lead more with saying the job was crap. 
we also need to call out the employers that are not making it uh, possible for us to have both, you know, or feel better about staying in the workplace. And so, yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I really perked up when I heard you say that because <laughs> I knew that it, okay, maybe it wasn't just that one time in that, at that play date with me where I had this epiphany, but maybe it's actually a, a bigger problem. I just yeah. saw one of those, you know, you know, you see kind of like a quote from someone's tweet or something go getting reshared, reshared. And it's, it's basically something like, Society called us superheroes so they could just assume we'll like they they basically yeah, we'll, do <laughs> we'll do it all, right? And they don't have to fix any of the problems yeah. underneath. But they and didn't so give me the magic cape. Like, come on. They no, they no, gave no. me no equipment. They just gave me the title. They, they gave just me gave no me the resources. title. And now they're they mm-hmm. think that that's okay, right? Like we're all gonna be heroes and it's gonna work out. And that's not structurally sound nor sustainable. So yeah, it's a false I do think of goods. Flipping <laughs> the narrative of is very important, even if you feel like society accepts the narrative of you staying home more readily, right? Mm-hmm. But it's important. It's important to call those things out. Anyway, I have to run. I am late for my own yes. team meeting. <laughs> Alana, thank you so much for joining us. The book is called The Adventures of Women in Tech, out everywhere. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much to Alana for joining us. Check out alanakaren.com, A-L-A-N-A-K-A-R-E-N.com to learn more about her book and follow her work. See you back here on Friday for Ask Farnoosh and I hope your day is so money. Money.